Dear Lord, we are so grateful for you and what you do. It is an undeserved pleasure. Lord, it is grace, the opportunity to see you work in people's lives and to have seen how you have worked in Chris's life, how you have matured him and brought him to the role that you have for him to play. And Lord, we look forward later to the baptism and hearing about the testimony of one that was done on the mountain and another that we're going to see before us today. And I'm in awe. I'm just in, in awe of what you do. And I feel very humbled today to have the opportunity to open your word on such an auspicious day. And yet, Lord, we know that you are working in people's lives. And our prayer would be that there are some, that, Lord, that will come to know you today. That salvation will become a reality to them today because of what you will have said through someone's words and through some music or someone's testimony. So, Lord, we open up all of this to you out of absolute gratitude and thankfulness that you are in charge. And it is not about me today being wise or it's not about me being eloquent, but, Lord, rather about me being available. So thank you for your truths. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We have the opportunity here at Windsor to hear from multiple people, right? So on any given Sunday, you're going to see either Dan or Danny or Chris or myself opening the word. And we are truly blessed by that. I uh, am by vocation a veterinarian. For those of you who don't know me, I work at CSU as, as an equine surgeon. And for the last few months and for the next couple as a hospital director. So life has been very interesting to me and I get to learn all sorts of things. And we've been going through Corinthians, and, and in chapters 12, we talked about some of the issues with the, the spiritual gifts. And then chapter 13, Paul brought in the realities of love and how important a gift love is, that even with all of the other spiritual gifts, that love is so much more valuable, so much more important. And I get a chance to see that on a regular basis at my work, where I get to struggle with having to love people that are in some cases by me unlovable. So that becomes a challenge and you get to grow a lot through that. And it's one of the real blessings that God puts before you in that growing part. It's never easy. It's not necessarily very enjoyable, but it's good. It's good character for me to be put into that. And this week was no exception. I had some great examples of, of situations where where I got to jump in the middle of a couple of phrase where one client was incredibly upset at a faculty member and the faculty member was wrong in what they did. And you get the opportunity to sit down with all of these people and help them work that out. Now, the interesting part in all of this is, of course, that the faculty member, to put it in perspective, was a professor when I was a student. So I get to go to them and share with them that they're going to have to go back into the exam room with the client and make this right, because that's the way it is. And it's interesting to see that and to work through those situations and Paul was trying to do something with the Corinthians and help them out as well. We talked about in the first part of, of chapter 14, we're talking about the gift of tongues and prophecy. Paul starts out talking about it's good to pursue. You need to pursue love because love is more valuable than any of these spiritual gifts because it lasts forever. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Love is the one thing that never ends because we know Jesus is love and we know Jesus never goes away. But yet we talked about the fact that the gifts will cease or end depending upon which gift it is. And that means different things with regards to that. So it talks about the gifts of tongues ceasing. It's going to, to stop and talks about the gifts of prophecy and knowledge coming to an end when the perfect comes. And we assume that the perfect 
is when we all go to heaven. That's, then everything will be completed. So that we won't need prophecy anymore because it will all be history. Everything will be done. We'll have reached a point where everything will be completed. And from that point on, we just get a chance to live with God and worship him and praise him every day, all the time. There's nothing else that will get in our way. We won't have to go to work. We won't have other issues. We won't have frustrations. They'll just be gone. All will be history at that point. We won't need prophecy and teaching anymore because it will be complete. Everything will be done. The Corinthians were having a hard time or seemed to be having a hard time only based upon looking at this information with regards to the gift of tongues and prophecy. The Corinthians seemed to like the showy gifts, those gifts that made them look better than everybody else, that you could stand up in front of everyone and say, wow, you know, I'm great because look what I can do. I can speak to you in other languages and or I can share with you revelations from God. And those were good things. Those were necessary things. And we know that the gift of languages or what we call tongues was very effective on the day of Pentecost because there were thousands of people that were saved. Peter and the apostles got up and they spoke, even though they didn't know any other languages. And these people that were there from all these other countries and all these other places has heard them in their own tongue, in their own language. And so we know that the gift of languages or tongues was very critical in bringing a lot of non-believers into the church. So there's no doubt that it was very valuable. And you can imagine if you'd heard the stories about that. Somebody was there. Can you imagine they were sharing with you? I was there. I was in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And these guys got up and they spoke in my language. Wasn't it the coolest thing in the world? I want that. I want to be able to do that. Now, in some cases, it was an earnest, sincere desire. I want to be able to speak in tongues because I want to reach people that, that I don't know their language. I honestly want to share the gospel of God with everybody. And that's obviously a very pure reason to use the tongues. But we know that the Corinthians weren't doing that. The Corinthians had taken it to another step. And instead of using it from a heartfelt desire in order to go out and reach people in in Christ's name, the Corinthians were using it to bring people's eyes to themselves. They wanted to be noticed. Look at me. I can stand up here and do this. Now, one of the challenges with that is it's continued on through time with regards to the gift of tongues. And we've lost sight at some level with regards to what exactly are tongues. And if we go back to what the word says, tongues were languages. Paul talks about the fact that they were known languages in verse 10, chapter 14. It says there are perhaps a great many kind of languages in the world and no kind without meaning. Well, the Corinthians, much like what is often done today in modern day churches with regards to speaking in tongues, were using gibberish. There was no meaning to what they were saying. And we know that the Bible says that's not what the point was. That was not the point of tongues. I didn't give you tongues. God is telling these guys through Paul so that you could make gibberish or unintelligible sounds. It's all about languages. This is if you happen to be walking in Turkey and you're one of the areas of a specific dialect, but you don't speak that dialect. You can communicate with the people there and they can understand what you're saying. That's what the gift of languages and tongues is all about. It's like Pentecost. Peter and the apostles didn't get up and mumble and make weird noises. They spoke. The people heard them in their language. That is the gift of languages or tongues. 
the Corinthians weren't doing a very good job of that. And Paul was talking to them about it. And he was giving them some pointers about how to deal with tongues. And we're going to complete that today with the final lessons on tongues, if you will. This is the, the last that they were shared in the New Testament with regards to what do we do with these and Paul's talking about the fact that though still, even though he can speak in tongues, he would rather speak five words of prophecy than 10,000 words in a tongue. That just tells you how important he thought prophecy was when compared to tongues. So we're going to now dive into verse 20 and finish out this chapter with the rest of the directions, if you will, in speaking in tongues and what Paul's anticipated outcomes were. And, of course, he brings these guys back. He just got done telling them, I'd rather speak five words with my mind, i.e. in prophecy, than 10,000 words in a tongue. And he says, brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be babes, but in your thinking be mature. Now, we know before that Paul had been talking to the Corinthians and telling them, it's time for you guys to grow up spiritually. It's really time for you to do that. You know, when you're a baby, it's okay to be a baby. That's fine. It's okay to eat baby food. It's okay to make baby sounds. It's okay to crawl around and do those things. But when you're an adult, you ought to eat adult food. You ought to do adult things. You ought to speak as an adult. You should not speak as a baby. And he's coming back to them and thinking, guys, we need you to grow up a little bit. We need you to mature. Now, interestingly enough, the Corinthians had matured but not in the ways that Paul had wanted them to mature, right? How did the Corinthians matured? Well, they'd become adults in their evil thinking. And so he's saying to them, we need to do an inversion here, guys. Spiritually, you're babies. From a flesh perspective, you're adults. We need to switch that around. I want you to be spiritual adults, and in your flesh, I want you to be mere babes. I don't want you to be so focused on doing the wrong things in accomplishing this. I want you to be in your thinking mature, in the flesh, or carnally, I want you to be babes. I want you to eat milk, right? Don't go after the big stuff. Go after the little stuff. So he's asking them to change their behavior. It's time, guys. Time to move on. We need to stop doing what you've been doing, and we need to start getting you where you need to get to. And he reminds them, right? So he goes back to the Old Testament and to Isaiah. And he reminds them where God had spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And the law, it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. And even so, they will not listen to me. There was a time when the Israelites, a time, right? Multiple times. This was one of the times that the Israelites had stopped listening to God. They'd stopped paying attention to him. And in verse 21, Paul's bringing this back to perspective. And Isaiah's talking about the Assyrians. And what he's trying to do is say, you remember back. Think back about what happened. You guys are so focused on tongues. I'm going to use this as a springboard to move into another perspective here. But I want you to remember, right? When the Assyrians came speaking in their normal tongue, did any of our forefathers understand them? No. Did it help our forefathers to respond? They didn't seem to get the point. And God said through Isaiah, even when I sent these other people, they wouldn't listen to me. They wouldn't hear. And so then he goes on in verses 22 through 25 to explain the gift of tongues. Let's go back one more time, guys. We've been through it a few times here in this letter, but let's hit it again. 
So in verse 22 through 25, he says, so then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Paul's getting ready to lay aside the whole concept of tongues to the Corinthians. He's given them the background. We've talked about a lot of things. And now he's trying to finish things off and say, "Okay, guys, let's be done here and, and move on. Tongues were not designed to be used in a church body. That wasn't the intent there. In a church body, in many cases, the majority of the people there are going to be believers. We always hope there are non-believers that come to church because otherwise it will be harder to share some of the word or require us to go out, which is also a very good thing. But in reality, in the Corinthian church, there was a church of believers and they would sit there in their services And they would have all sorts of tongues being used. But what was the value of that? Because tongues were never designed for believers. Prophecy was for believers. Believers get together. We open the word like this on a Sunday morning and we share it. And we reveal to you what God has shown to us. Right. He's already put it on paper for us. That's my job when I prepare for the message is to open the word, prepare my heart and then share with you what God has taught me for the week prior to the lesson. The benefit of doing that is, of course, the word cuts to our hearts. And so it helps us to grow and mature and become those mature people that we're looking, that Paul is looking for us to be in the word. But the gift of tongues were originally designed to reach those people who couldn't understand our language and weren't believers. Hence, the Pentecost what Paul talks about when he used the gift of tongue. So that's the concept behind it. But yet this was a church that had become fascinated by the gift of tongues. And it's interesting when it talks about what's going to happen if an ungifted man or an unbeliever enters, they'll say you are mad. This actually translates better to they'll walk in and what they will see is uncontrolled frenzy. That's what they walked into your church and saw. Now, what are they going to do? Are they going to say, oh, this is the kind of spot I've been looking for. I want to be around a bunch of people who have lost their mind. No, that's not the point at all. I think that was what Paul was trying to say. In your church service, this is what it looks like. You look like you're in uncontrolled frenzy. How are unbelievers going to take that? What's that going to look like when they come in and do that? Now, does that mean that the gift of tongues were bad? No, that's not the point. The point was the way the Corinthians were using them, they were using them incorrectly. And we're going to get to that in a minute, what the difference is. However, Paul says, what a difference it would be. Can you imagine, even if, and Paul's going to come in and and give some guidelines for prophecy as well. He said, can you imagine... If an unbeliever or a group of unbelievers walked into your building and you were all sharing the word of God, how, what impact that would have? I mean, he goes on to tell what kind of impact it would have. He's convicted by all. Everybody there convicts him. He doesn't think you're mad. He doesn't think you're crazy. He doesn't think you've lost your mind and you're in this uncontrolled frenzy. But rather, he's convicted. He's called to account. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. 
and he will fall on his face and worship God. Now, what should we be looking for? Should we be up here trying to have a service where we're all speaking in different languages? Let's set aside the concept of the gibberish and just say we're not even going to go there. Let's say, for instance, that, that there were 40 people in this room who spoke other languages by God's grace. Would it be good for us to each one of us stand up at the same time and be using them? Not according to Paul, not according to God. People would think we'd lost our mind. However, if those same 40 people got up and shared the gospel, there'd be some impact. That's still not the best, though. Paul's going to go on and clarify this. He's still going to say that's not best. There's a better way to do it than that. But 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 remember, tongues, the way you're doing it, Corinthians, is a disaster. It's a wreck. We're not helping. We're not doing what we need to do. Verse 26, what is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, each has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Can you imagine what it must have looked like? A group of 100 to 1,000 people in a church, who knows how many? Everybody has got their thing to say. Every one of you. Can you imagine if all of you got up and started proclaiming something? How interesting would that be? What benefit would the body get from that? Nothing. Really? I mean, maybe somebody next to you would hear. But if we're all doing our own thing, if we're all talking, if we're all sharing, whether it be tongues or prophecy or whatever it is, how can we listen? How can we listen if we're talking? How can we hear if we're performing acts? How can we be gaining and maturing if indeed we're so intent on ourselves and our own focus that we can't hear what anybody else has to say. I don't know how you guys do in that situation, but I know I can't do so well. It doesn't help me if I'm listening to somebody and somebody's trying to teach me something. If I turn around and start talking to somebody beside me or if I just just start talking, that'd be interesting too. I don't learn. It's hard for me because it's competing at that point. I'm thinking about something and speaking, and it's hard for me to learn. It reminds me of the opportunities I've had to go to a foreign country and go through different types of translation. The first time I had a chance to go to Brazil, they did linear translation. So I would say a sentence, and then they would say the sentence in Portuguese. And then I would say another one, and then they would say one. And it was fascinating because you never have a clue what they're saying. You realize that the people that are sitting there learning, they may be reading out of a novel. I don't know. I can't speak a word of Portuguese. What do I know that they're saying? But then put it in perspective of simultaneous translation. So that's when you say something and the person listens to you, translates it and speaks it in their language. And you never stop. You just keep going. Just as I'm doing this morning. Does that astound anybody? Somebody's ability to do that yet. They don't learn anything about what you're saying. I've talked to some translators before and I said, so out of curiosity, do you, get, do you, does this, do you gain anything? One, one that I worked with was a veterinarian. She said, no, no, it is just in and out. And then it's just gone. It's, there's nothing there. So we can't take things in when we're participating or talking ourselves. And Paul's trying to share this with these guys in verse 26. What's going to happen here? And he says, don't do this, guys. 
You've got to stop this nonsense. All spiritual gifts are designed for the edification of the body, not the sharer. It's not about me. Me being up here and opening the word is not about me. In fact, is if there was a way to do this and have me not be completely transparent, it would be fantastic. Because then I would never make the effort to try to make you look at me and watch me and be amazed at what I can do. And that's a struggle for all of us, I think. And Paul's saying you've got to edify the body. In Romans 15, verses 1 through 6, Paul talks about this to the Romans. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who are reproached, thee fell upon me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. And through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're meant to be about everybody else, not ourselves. It's a real issue, I think, because we're encased with this flesh, right? And the flesh creates problems for us. We're told by society to excel, and it's about me. Look out for number one. And that's not at all in God's economy. That's not his plan at all. In fact, it's look out for everyone else but you. Look for everybody else. Your neighbor has an issue. Go help your neighbor. It doesn't matter if what you need to have done gets done. Help your neighbor. Do things to edify the body. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. So encourage, build up, do things. Brothers, brethren, sisters, in Corinth, quit making the focus you. Stop being about yourself. You need to be about the body. It's far more valuable than you as an individual part. Are you important? Yes but not as important as the body. In verses 27 and 28, he starts to say, okay, here's the nitty-gritty of how we're going to do this. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at most three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. If there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. The whole concept here, it's got to be about order. Let's make sure that it's useful. If 40 people get up and speak in a different language, it's not going to help anyone. But if maybe three at most, one at a time, get up, it could be useful. It could be beneficial. However, if there's no interpreter, be quiet. Be silent. You can speak to God, but don't speak to the body. Why is that? What edification is there if I got up here and spoke in Portuguese, but none of you understood Portuguese? You could all have a good laugh at me, but you wouldn't know what I said. That's the edification part. If there's nobody to interpret what was said, then you need to be quiet. You need to, to be silent. It's not your time to speak up. In verses 29 and 33, he talks about the prophets. So he's trying to help everybody here as we work through this. Let two or three prophets speak, 
and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Before, Paul talked about, I'd rather all of you got up and did a prophecy than speak in tongues. Because for the believers, it's going to be far more effective for you to get up and give a prophecy. However, realistically, 40 of you getting up and sharing your favorite verse at the same time isn't going to help either. So let's be realistic. Paul's really working with these guys to help them understand humility. The whole concept here is humility. He wants them to stop focusing on themselves, what they have to offer, how good they look or how good they sound. And he wants them to focus on the body. And he said, you can't do that when your eyes are only on yourself. You can't look out when all you're doing is looking in a mirror. It just doesn't work. So he's helping them to see that. And he's saying, even though it's better It'd be better for 40 people to prophesy at the same time than 40 people speak in tongue. That's still not good. We still need to limit it. It needs to be in turn, one at a time. We need to do this for the edification of the body, for the exhortation. Let them learn. Allow them to hear what's being said. Let them grow from it. Don't let them be confused by it. We don't want to be a group of people that everybody thinks of as the crazy folks. We want to be people that are about building up the kingdom of God by sharing his word in a fruitful and reasonable instance. That's the that's what he's telling the Corinthians. So be cautious. God is not a God of confusion. He doesn't want that. He wants us to be orderly. Now comes the fun part. It's always fun to get to this part of the chapter. Verses 34 and 35. The women are to keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but are subject to themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in a church. What's interesting, because if you go back to chapter 11, and Paul's talking to the women about head coverings, he talks about, in verse 5, but if every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same with her whose head is shaved. You think, that, wait a minute. Paul's already talked about the fact that women are praying in church and they're prophesying in church. But the concept is they're to do it in a submissive manner. And here he comes out and says, no more speaking women. So what's the story behind that? It obviously is an issue where there were some women in the church who were being unorderly, who were being loud, who were trying to run the show. We know in Genesis 3.16, it talks about the fall and God talks about how he's going to bring pain in women's childbirth. And, and it talks about how women's desire is going to be for her husband. In essence, the desire for his position. Wanting to be in charge. The women are going to want to do that. That's part of the fall. And that was going on here in the church in Corinth as well. So presumably there were a group of ladies who were getting too involved and trying to run the show. And and to make things go their way. They were obviously speaking in tongues. They were obviously prophesying. And Paul was saying, ladies, you need to go home. 
Those of you who are married, you need to submit to your husband. You need to learn from them. And once your heart is right, I don't think Paul's saying once your heart is right, women, I never want to hear you pray in church. So I'm sorry for those of you ladies who think that that is a freedom when we're praying corporately not to ever have to pray. I don't think that's Paul's intent. I think Paul's intent is that he would not have women teaching in a congregation like this. That he goes on and he says it multiple times in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, 3 through 15, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. He talks about the fact that women are to be submissive to the men and that the men are to be the leaders. That's the goal. That is the design. I didn't come up with it. If you have issue with that, talk to God. I'll support him 100%. But that's not my plan. That's his plan. And it's an orderly plan. It's a great perspective. It's just like the whole concept of elders in a church. You know, we have a great example today, right? Chris became a pastor elder. Dan and Danny and I have been serving you in that. We don't have anything extra special. I mean, God doesn't give us extra sorts of wisdom and eloquence in speaking and the ability to right all wrongs, figure out all problems and do that. But he does put us in our role for a purpose. It's to help with the order of the church body. And God has a purpose for leadership as he did that. And he talked about it all over the place. And Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy and talked about how to orderly do leadership and things like that. So the things that we know from regards to leadership in the church, just like the leadership of a husband to a wife, is that the leaders in the church are held to a very high accountability standard. And I really think, honestly, if any of us spent any time looking at that, we would run, fleeing the whole concept of being a pastor, because we would be held responsible for the decisions you make. How many of you as parents would like to be responsible for the decisions your children make? It's a heavy thing. Whenever I read that, I just kind of go... I'm sure glad, God, you're in charge, but yeah, I, this, is, this is heavy stuff. It's, it is a lot to it. It's the same thing with wives being submissive to their husband or women being submissive to the leadership in the church. It wasn't the deal set aside to minimize involvement of women. That's not Paul's point here. The point was it was unorderly and there were problems and they needed to be dealt with. And the best way to deal with them were to deal with them in the home. Women, go home, learn from your husbands. When your heart is right, you can come back and pray. That's okay. We're not going to have you teaching from up front, but we're going to work through these things. When it talks about being improper for them, it's actually disgraceful, translates better to disgraceful. And boy, I just, you know, we don't want to be there in front of God. We don't want to be disgraceful in what we do before him. In verse 36 through 38, Paul's bringing back to the whole of the congregation now. And he says to them, was it from you that the word of God first went forth or has it come to you only? Wouldn't you love to be there when Paul's doing that? Now, he wrote this in a letter, but I can just see Paul standing up in front of the group. So let me get this right, guys. You came up with God's word. It's all about the Corinthians because of your wisdom and your great thinking. That's why we have God's word. Wrong. No, it's not the point at all. The word came from God. It came to them. But Paul's giving them a warning. He knew they weren't going to like this. Right? Paul knew already that the Corinthians were not going to appreciate what he had to share with them. And so he said, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are 
the Lord's commandment. But if anyone doesn't recognize it, fine. You are neither recognized. Paul's just trying to say the same thing I did with the women don't speak in church deal. Well, he said, it's not me. I'm going to stand behind this. I will cut it straight. I will tell it to you as God has for me to tell it to you. But you need to know this comes from God. So Corinthians, all this I'm telling you about tongues, prophecy, love, speaking in the service, being disruptive, being unorganized. That's all from God. God's telling us that we need to do a better job of this. And so don't be coming after me, complaining to me that you're upset with me because this is God's word. And it's what he said. But Paul doesn't ever stop there. And I really love that about Paul. He brings it down to a here's the bottom line. You're messing up with these spiritual gifts. You desire them in the flesh. You shouldn't. You are trying to get everybody to look at you. You shouldn't. You are unorganized. You are disorderly. You shouldn't be. And by the way, it's God telling you this, not just me. These words aren't coming out of my mouth. These words are coming from God. But he helps them. He doesn't stop there and chastise there. How'd that feel? Right? He stops and says, okay, therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophecy because it's better. And do not forbid to speak in tongues, but, but let all things be done properly and in an orderly manner. God doesn't want confusion in the church. He doesn't want confusion in our lives. He doesn't want us to look one way Sunday and a different way Monday. He doesn't want us to treat somebody different because of their status and what they might bring to the church body or bring to us individually. He expects us to be an orderly group. He expects us to be focused on others and not ourselves. And he expects us to be full of love. If we look back at things, the Corinthians were obviously very stressed out and and focused on the gifts of tongues. So it took a lot for Paul to teach them the thoughts that he needed to teach them. What we know about the gift of languages are that they're not for all believers because the Holy Spirit dispenses the spiritual gifts as he will. Right. As God decides, we each get spiritual gifts that are for the benefit of the body. The gift of tongues or languages is not at all connected with the baptism of the spirit. Any different than any of the spiritual gifts are. When we become believers, we are baptized by the spirit and the spirit gives us gifts. Now, it may take us years, decades, whatever, to find out what our spiritual gifts are. But they're given to us by the Holy Spirit. We don't manufacture them. I don't give them to you. I cannot bestow upon anybody here a spiritual gift. It just doesn't work. The spirit does that. That's why they're called spiritual gifts instead of Dean's gifts. Because I can't do it. It's the spirit that does these things. Spiritual gifts or the gifts of languages is not a superior sign of spirituality. Whether you have or don't have the gift of tongues does not make you better or worse than anybody else. Because the Spirit gives them out as the Spirit wills. In fact, 
as we discussed last week, the gift of tongues is actually probably inferior. It's an inferior way to prophecy. It's an inferior way to teach because you always have to have an interpreter around to deal with it. The benefit of tongues were in the day of, of Pentecost and the New Testament time to go places that they didn't have the languages and they could share God's word. However, Paul says, don't forbid speaking in tongue. It's okay to do it, but do it right. Do it the correct way. Recognize the gift of tongues are languages. And we know in verse 10 that they're all known languages, right? There's no such thing as this deep spiritual moaning that nobody can understand because they're not words. The gift of tongues was a gift of languages that were all known. Somewhere, somebody used it. We just had to find the right people. We know that if you do it, you should do it very orderly. You should only do it when there is somebody there to interpret. And if there's not, you should be quiet. We also know that there's a huge amount of debate on regards to whether or not the gift of tongues is still an active gift. The way I can best find things in the word, it would indicate that it is not an active gift at this point. But I'm not going to stand up here and tell God what he can or cannot do with the gift of tongues. If God wants to use the gift of tongues, amen. In fact is, if he blessed me and I had the chance to proclaim his grace and his truth of salvation to somebody who couldn't speak English and I couldn't speak what they spoke, I couldn't be more happy. But I can tell you that the way that it is currently used in most churches in America is not accurate. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's gibberish. And it certainly isn't controlled. Prophecy is better. It's always better than tongues. Interestingly enough, it's almost always less desired. But it's still not good if you don't use it to edify the church. It's not good. None of the spiritual gifts are valuable if there is an edification of the body. It doesn't make any difference how good you are at them. If we don't edify the body, we don't do that. And in fact, it should be done orderly. It would never be right for me to stand up in the service while Dan, Danny, or Chris are teaching and share something off the cuff because that would be unorderly. That would not be right. Regardless of whether I might want to, it wouldn't be an effective or edifying way to use the gifts that God has given us. The cool part moving on, we're going to talk about the importance of the resurrection and the benefit there. If there are things that you have questions, concerns, not sure are clear about what we've discussed about the gifts of tongues and prophecy and otherwise, let me know. Shoot me an email. Give me a call. I'd be glad to share with you what I've learned and learned from you as well. I know I do not have a corner on the market with all knowledge and continuing to learn, but I'm excited about moving on and being able to put away the issues of the Corinthian church from their fleshly perspective and start moving towards the wonderful and amazing resurrection which seals the hope of our salvation. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I am so grateful for you. Just to know that you cared so much about us that you put your word down in writing that we might be able to study it. And read it, Lord, as a, just thinking back of, on the plaque that Chris got and the promise of the Bible and just what it holds is so cool. It's just such a neat thing. And it's all to get to know you better. 
Lord, would you help us to continually grow and mature? Would you help us to be a body that would be about finding out how we can serve others? That we could be a body that would be looking towards maturation. That we wouldn't be happy staying where we are, rather we would grow. Lord, you know full well that we can't be an effective body if half of us is a baby and the other half's an adult. So please grow us, mature us, and make us look just exactly like you want us to look like. Lord, as we move on with the service and we look at the baptism and go through that, Lord, I am so excited about that. I'm so excited to see that. Would you just open all of our hearts to hear how you have done this marvelous thing of salvation in Shane's heart. So thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to open your word. Thank you for this beautiful day. Lord, please be with all of those who are struggling uh, with, with this, the difficult memories of lost loved ones and, and wars and, and other things during this time. And Lord, help them to lay their burdens down before your cross. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.